Scripture reading today is taken from Genesis chapter 20 and 21. Chapter 20, verses 1 to 7. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Jira. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Jira, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Chapter 21, this is 1 to 4. The Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Verses 8 to 14. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. Verses 9 to 13. 
So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Verse 18. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Verses 22 to 24. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. This is God's word. Thank you, Kathleen. GBC, uh, it's so good to be with all of you uh, this morning uh, to bring God's Word to all of us. And for the visitors uh, among us, welcome. My name is Yanadi. It's a, it's a long passage. Uh, we will not be able to read every verse in, in this passage. So it will be helpful uh, if you can please turn your Bible closely with me. One of the greatest idols I'm struggling with is comfort. Just last week, a couple of young students knocked at my door to sell ice cream. Because it's been a while due to pandemic, I wasn't comfortable handling it. And since it's something to do with ice cream, I had a bright idea to delegate the responsibility to my wife, who later learned that their need is genuine. I congratulated myself for the delegation because I know my wife is the more generous one between us. The next morning, however, I regretted it because I didn't use the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with them. I even discussed with my wife how to best do it next time by offering to pray for them. The next day came our HDB cleaner dropped by to hint that he is willing to take our used items. That was the first time he ever interacted with us. And what did I do? I wasn't comfortable. So I let my wife be the generous ma'am to the gentleman. Again and again, I fall into the same sin of comfort. Familiar? I trust this is something familiar to all of us. In our sermon series on hope last year, Apostle Peter reminds us that being sojourners and exiles in this world, our war is not just against the world, but especially against our own flesh, continually. Our passage today talks about that. The big idea for our passage is 
God is gracious towards His pitiful people, us, in spite of us, in our sojourn in this world. Here is the outline for today's sermon. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father God, who is gracious towards your weak people and faithful to fulfill your promises for the sake of your own name, we come before you thankful that you have given us your word to edify us as we sojourn together. Be pleased to soften hard hearts, encourage discouraged hearts, and rebuke stubborn hearts. Do this for your name's sake, so that your church be edified. In Jesus' name, Amen. When God's people struggle with sins, after the episode on Lot and Sodom, we now return to Abraham and his household, who are moving further away from Sodom, but still within Canaan. Before we go into the episode proper, we must appreciate that Abraham is living out his faith in God who made a covenant with him. Yes, what is going to happen is an episode of, Abraham, of Abraham's faithlessness. But here, we still find Abraham still in the promised land, anticipating God's promise to unfold. Abraham is now in Gerar, the land of Philistines, where he meets Abimelech, a Philistine king. The author, Moses, takes it that his readers are familiar with the similar account in chapter 12 when it happened in Egypt with Pharaoh. In short, Abraham, Abraham's household is passing by a kingdom. The local king, in this case Abimelech, attracted by Sarah's beauty, Abraham claims that Sarah is only his sister. The king takes her as his consort. This may be Abraham's habit whenever he passes by a kingdom. But this episode is as especially crucial because just last week in chapter 18, we are told that God told Abraham and Sarah that Sarah is going to have a son next year, which by now can be any time. Thank God, God is God and Abraham is not. God does not let anyone jeopardize his good promises. Verse 3, God intervenes in Abimelech's dream and calls him out with a strong charge. You are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Knowing polygamy to be common in Canaanite culture, we don't often see God rebuking people for taking other people's spouses. So when such a strong charge is uttered, we know that it deserves our fullest attention. It's important because, as we will see soon, Isaac is born in the next chapter. Sarah might have carried another man's baby instead of Abraham's. Besides, in Genesis 12, God has promised to Abraham, whoever dishonors you, I will curse. This is why the charge to Abimelech is so severe, although his action is done out of ignorance. Verse 4 clarifies that Abimelech has not approached Sarah. This is what we often claim as well, lucky, uh, or more Singapore way, hing. Uh. 
Abimelech then appealed for himself and his people because they did what they did in their innocence. The irony here is that what Abimelech is doing is exactly what Abraham did when he interceded for the ten righteous people in Sodom. If only there were ten. God's response in verse 6, verse 6 shows that not only God is merciful towards Abimelech, but God is also just. God does not punish anyone unreasonably. God gives Abimelech a hearing. This is not to say that Abimelech is sinless, but he is indeed innocent in this case. One question that came in during one session of last year's Equip on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood was, what's wrong with Me Too movement? Hasn't it revealed so much evil in the world? Yes, the movement has produced much good. However, in relation to our passage, Me Too movement can sometimes be ruthless as it often denies the presumption of innocence or innocence until proven guilty. My criticism is not towards the movement, but as God's people who believe the Bible, let's not get swallowed whole into any movement. Denying the presumption of innocence is definitely the opposite of the attribute God is displaying here. I hope we continue to become people who James calls quick to listen and slow to speak. And all the more so, since we are not all-knowing like God is. Let's continue in verse 6. Not only God sees Abimelech's actions, more profoundly he sees Abimelech's heart. And here we get the answer that what happens to Abraham is not luck. It's not luck, but grace. In spite of Abraham's faithlessness, it was God who graciously kept Abimelech from touching Sarah. The Bible refers to Abimelech's possibility of touching Sarah, not just sinning against Sarah herself or Abraham, her husband, but sinning against the Lord, their covenant God who has promised to them. It's serious. It's serious because God's people are important to God. God's people are important to God because they are the recipient of promises that originate from God. Verse 7, God tells Abimelech to return Sarah to Abraham with the same serious threat he gave to Adam to not eat the fruit of the forbidden tree. He and all who are his shall surely die if he disobeys. The next section records the interaction between Abimelech and Abraham. When Abimelech informs what he has heard from God to his servants, they are all, rightly, very much afraid. Abimelech questions Abraham, basically, why did you do this to us? It's not just about why did you do this, but it's why did you do this to us? Abimelech knows that God favors Abraham since he calls Abraham his prophet in verse 7. 
And Abimelech knows that Abraham knows that what could have happened to Sarah is a great sin against God which will bring curse to Abimelech and his household. As God can use a donkey to rebuke Balaam, God also can use a Gentile king to rebuke Abraham. Verse 11 tells us Abraham's reason. He says, I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. First, Abraham fears men and in his fear of men, he stops trusting God. This is the same Abraham who in chapter 14 defeated four kingdoms with only 318 men. The brave and valiant Abraham, now the timid, and cowardly Abraham. Beloved, aren't all of us like Abraham? In our sojourn in this world, sometimes our faith is strong, but sometimes it withers. As always, it's God's gracious intervention that saves Abraham. Abraham's so-called clever scheme might save his life temporarily, but it would have ruined his long prospect of becoming a great nation. Beloved, what do you trust? God or your own clever schemes? Our clever schemes fail all the time. Only God's schemes are clever and last forever. Second, the irony is Abimelech and his servants were very much afraid of God while the fear of God has left Abraham this time. Abraham might actually be right in saying that there is no fear of God at all in this place. But one thing Abraham is forgetting. He forgets that God can put the fear of God in this place. He forgets so much so that he lost his own fear of God. More reasons from Abraham, or perhaps excuses is a better word. Verse 12. Verse 12. Besides, she is indeed my sister. Verse 13. Speaking to Sarah, this is the kindness you must do me. At every place to which we come, tell a lie. Let yourself be taken by the king. Abraham's one sin grows to more sins. Here he defended that Sarah is indeed his sister, that basically he is not wrong in what he said. And perhaps Abraham also thought he's not wrong even in Abimelech taking Sarah into his room. Abimelech should have inquired more. Anyhow, what Abraham suggests that Sarah do is unloving and guilt-tripping. Unloving because he, as the husband, is supposed to be the one who sacrifices for her, not the other way around. Guilt-tripping because if Sarah disagrees, she is unkind and basically letting him be killed. Husbands, do not treat your wives like that. And to be husbands, take note. 
this episode is closed with not only a restoration of Abraham's household, but an abundant blessing for Abraham's household from the king. A very similar ending to the similar episode in chapter 12 in Egypt. Verse 15. We learn also that God's promise of land starts to be revealed. Abraham is allowed to, to dwell wherever in the land of Philistines. The most important in this chapter is in verse 16, the vindication of Sarah. That Sarah is innocent, that she is untouched, that God's good promise to Abraham and Sarah continues, that in God's providence, the son that comes to Sarah in the next chapter belongs to Abraham. Abraham then exercises his office of prophet by praying for these Gentiles so that God shows his mercy to them by exercising his justice. The dead wombs of Abimelech's household are resurrected, a foreshadow of what is going to happen very soon. A timely reminder for Abraham and Sarah that God is Lord over their lack of fertility. So far, only one thing is good about Abraham in this episode. That Abraham stays faithful by staying in the promised land. Other than that, this episode has painted Abraham not only in a negative light, but worse, as worse than a Gentile king. Based on what Abraham did, what is fitting for him is a severe punishment for his irresponsible actions. And that is quite the scandal in the eyes of the world, isn't it? That Abraham is abundantly blessed despite being the sinner. That Abraham is the one to intercede despite being the offending party. But I think that is the whole point. It is indeed the main point that runs across our passage today. God is gracious to Abraham, not because of Abraham but quite the contrary. God is gracious to Abraham in spite of Abraham. That in his sojourn, Abraham experiences ups and downs in his faith. We experience ups and downs in our journey of faith too. God is gracious to his people, us, in spite of us. God's grace for his people is free and unconditional Upon us. If, if it were conditional upon Abraham, Abraham would have been surely dead. If it were conditional upon us, we should have been dead long ago. But no, it's not conditional upon us. It's conditional upon God who wills it. I pray for some of us who are prideful that this will crush your pride. That there is nothing, nothing at all from you that impresses God. For some of us who are struggling with assurance, that this will strengthen you, knowing that His grace is not up to you, but up to God who desires to save many. You can rest upon God's gracious character, not your performance. For some of us who have been complacent that this will 
convict you that while God's grace is given to you for free, it's often at the cost of someone else. Chapter 20 closes with this mention, Sarah, Abraham's wife. Let that sink in for a while. Sarah, Abraham's wife. What a glorious confirmation for God's people. When God's promises fulfilled, yet looked down upon. We now get to the episode where if we just read plainly, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son. The eventual birth of Isaac can feel rather anticlimactic because of how it is written. However, if we study carefully, this episode is where God's people can rejoice because God's promise of a descendant is finally fulfilled. Because God's intent to recreate through Abraham is finally happening. Because generations of grace can finally resume after facing a few threats. And because this is a story of resurrection, the, resur the resurrection of a dead womb into one that is not only alive, but fruitful. The chapter starts gloriously with the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Indeed, last week, in chapter 18, God said twice, not once, but twice, that he will surely return to them about this time next year. First to Abraham, then to Sarah. And now he has returned to visit them. The phrase, the Lord visited, occurs several times in the Bible, and it usually brings favor. The phrase appears in Exodus 4 to indicate that God is going to free his people. In Ruth 1, to indicate that God is restoring Israel from famine so that Naomi can return. In 1 Samuel 2, to indicate that Hannah is having five more children after Samuel. And this is even after not even having one. It's interesting, you see. Sarah only has one child, Isaac. However, she was expecting children, plural, when she asked Abraham to sleep with Hagar. And here in verse 7, Sarah identifies herself as nursing children, plural. Indeed, as her new name suggests, she has become a mother of nations and kings through this one son. Beloved, isn't it amazing when God redeems our situation? Definitely the sojourn is hard, but it is worth it. So, persevere. Verse 1 then continues, The Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Then Sarah conceived and bore Isaac. I would have failed you if you go home from this sermon thinking that the application from this verse is if you struggle to have a baby, what you need to do is simply to wait and God will definitely give you a baby. And if God doesn't, you can doubt God. 
such faith lies on a very shaky foundation. And it's kind of blackmailing God. The promise of a son is a promise to Sarah. So what is the promise to you and me? The promise for us is the promise given to Christians as recorded in the Bible. The promise of salvation. The promise that God's Spirit will always be with us in this life to strengthen and comfort us when times are tough and of course to convict us when we stray. The promise that we will be with Jesus eternally in the life to come. I think it's okay to trust that God is a good God who loves you and He may give you the desire of your heart if it's good for you. But we miss the point if we start to think that a specific promise for others, we can also claim. Beloved, it's perhaps a good time to remind ourselves of the promises that we have in Jesus from reading the Bible. So persevere for the right promises. Verse 4, verse 4, Abraham then does what is necessary. He circumcised Isaac when he was eight days old, just as God had commanded him in chapter 17. The word Isaac is Hebrew for he loves. Isaac's name is a wordplay that would always remind Abraham of, and Sarah of their response when they received the promise of a son. But thank be to God, despite the irony in Isaac's name, in verse 6, Isaac brings a joyful laughter to Sarah. Again, God redeems the situation for his people. What could have been a lifetime of shame for Sarah for laughing at God's promise, God turns into a laughter of joy. However, this joyous occasion is cut short when Isaac is weaned, probably when he's about three years old by their culture. Verse 9, verse 9. Sarah sees Ishmael laughing. Again, another wordplay of the word he laughs, Isaac's name. But if you think that this is just another innocent laughing, the Hebrew word suggests that it's not. It's using a category that better translates the word into playing or mocking. Apostle Paul helps us to understand this passage by giving us his commentary in Galatians 4 verse 29. Therefore, there, Paul, Paul suggests that he who was born according to the flesh, Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, Isaac. So most likely, what Ishmael does to Isaac is more in the line of mocking. And it is easy to understand why. By this time, Ishmael would have been about 17 years old. And all this while, he has heard about God's promise to Abraham. And he has been the only child that Abraham had. Ishmael must have thought that he is the covenant inheritor. But Isaac's arrival changes everything. Ishmael's mocking of Isaac reminds us of Hagar's contempt for Sarah after Hagar conceived 
in chapter 16. They also remind us of God's promise to Abraham in chapter 12. Whoever dishonors you, I will curse. Sarah's request to cast out Hagar and Ishmael is harsh. It uses the same word used when God cast out Adam and Eve as well as Cain. Verse 11. It is understandable that Sarah's request displeases Abraham as he cares so much about Ishmael. He initially wanted Ishmael to be the covenant inheritor. However, not only we have been told in chapter 17, verse 19, that God has rejected Ishmael to be the covenant inheritor, this time God asked Abraham to listen to Sarah. This is in contrast to when Abraham listened to Sarah to have children by Hagar. It was not something that anyone consulted God about. This time, listening to Sarah is a good thing because God tells him to listen to her. Again, God's compassion and grace flow through in his consolation of Abraham. Verse 12, God affirms what Sarah said, that the covenant will be established only through Isaac, while in verse 13, affirming that Ishmael will be blessed as well. In his compassion and hospitality, Abraham wakes up early and gives provision for Hagar and her boy as they depart into the desert of Beersheba. This, this episode may sound rather harsh for us, but we will soon understand why it is necessary based on Hagar's response to their expulsion. Hagar is one of the few characters in the Bible who are privileged to give name to God. You are a God of seeing, for she has seen him who looks after her. She has personally experienced God who saw her through. But what Hagar does in this episode is the opposite of faith. Verse 16, Instead of calling out to the God who sees and looks after her, she resolves to self-pity. Beloved, having experienced God's love, don't we sometimes forget to come to Him in our times of difficulty? We like self-pity more because in self-pity, we find our deeper idols hidden safely so that no one can correct us. In self-pity, we can see ourselves as the victimized ones, the oppressed ones. And that justifies us to see that the problem is not in us, but outside of us. In self-pity, we think that there is a safer space than being with God. On the contrary, coming to God risks ourselves to be exposed and requires us to be in fellowship with God's people to be encouraged, to be corrected, to be helped. Verse 17, Self-pity has denied Hagar to see God who is listening to the boy all along. Verse 19, Self-pity even caused Hagar to miss out on the well of water, the very thing they need at this point of time. 
So not only has Hagar dishonoured God's people, she also ignores the God who has graciously revealed himself to her. And worse, after witnessing God's unconditional faithfulness to Abraham and his household, instead of desiring to reconnect with God's people again by seeking reconciliation, or perhaps by taking someone from Abraham's household to be Ishmael's wife? No. Verse 21. She returns to where she is from, Egypt, to get a wife for her son. Hagar is the opposite of Ruth. I think the ESV editor is generous by giving the header to this section, God protects Hagar and Ishmael. In fact, I have been quite generous also in mentioning Ishmael by name. If you haven't noticed already in your Bible, in this chapter, there is not a single mention of the name Ishmael recorded. That must be how far Hagar and her son have fallen away from God and his people. Horrible end for Hagar and her son. But we understand now why their expulsion is fitting for the sake of God's people, for the sake of God's name. Regardless, the point of this episode is that God continues to show Hagar and her boy great mercy by protecting and blessing them greatly. Ishmael is not cancelled. Verse 20, God even commits himself to be with the boy as he grows up. The earlier chapter tells us that God is gracious to his people. But here, we see God's common grace even to people who reject him. Matthew 5, verse 45, explains common grace for us. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. But if you are someone who has been rejecting God's love that can only be found in and through Jesus, how long do you think God's grace for you will last? Let me tell you, it's not going to last forever. If God's people who are faithful supposedly deserves to be severely punished for their sin, how much more the people who look down on God's grace? God remains faithful to His people in all that we do. We have now reached the final episode of our passage today. Abimelech appears again in our story. In the beginning, I mentioned that one thing Abraham does right is remaining in the promised land. At the end of chapter 20, Abraham is given the permission to dwell in the land of Philistines. At the beginning of chapter 21, the promise of a descendant, even a nation, is fulfilled in Isaac. And here we will see that the promise of land is materialising a little bit more, although with some struggles. Verse 22. God's favour to His people and faithfulness in fulfilling His promises become well-known and attract even the unbelievers. For Abimelech, 
he not only witnessed God's favour and faithfulness for God's people, but he himself has been a recipient of God's great mercy. And it's no surprise that he wants a part of that benefit. Unfortunately, it's just the benefit that Abimelech desires. Verse 23, he makes Abraham swear that he will deal kindly to Abimelech and his people according to how he has dealt with Abraham. Verse 25, verse 25, when dispute arises between Abimelech's servants and Abraham over a well of water, we must understand that the covenant made in verse 27 is important because a well of water in the desert is a premium real estate. It's also important because this marks a progress in the fulfillment of the promise of land. Now, Abraham owns a piece of land and his family won't go thirsty for a while. Upon making the covenant, this chapter wonderfully ends with verse 33 where Abraham planted a tree in Beersheba and called on the, or worshipped the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And it is closed in verse 34 by Abraham still sojourning in the land of Philistines. Here, we are presented with a wonderful contrast whereby Abraham, who is still tentative, moving around in his sojourn, worshipping the God who is eternal, steady in his dwelling. It would have been convenient for Abraham to just return to and dwell in Ur, his hometown, and live like the world. But Abraham does not. Instead, he remains in the land where he can only rely on God. What motivates Abraham to persevere? The author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 11, Verse 10, that he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. And brothers and sisters, that's the everlasting city where the everlasting God dwells. Beloved, Abraham is only able to see that city as a far away promise, far from being fulfilled at the end of his life. We, on the other hand, are on the side where God's promise to Abraham has been fully fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus has come to us and has now ascended into that city to intercede for us and prepare a place for us. While Abraham struggled over a well of water, Jesus has come to us as the unquenchable living water from which we'll never thirst anymore. Like Abraham, we are still sojourners and exiles now. Would we be willing to persevere in our faith in Jesus as we look forward to that city? Do you look forward to that city? Beloved, in Galatians 4, verse 28, Paul calls us, the children of promise, just like Isaac. What a privilege. Isaac was not born out of human scheme, 
His birth is one of promise through a miracle by the Spirit. It is the same with our being born again. So don't refer to your old ways of relying on your own works and achievements. If what consumes us are things like uh, what other people think of me, uh, how disciplined are my rituals, uh, what should I do to make me feel better, then perhaps we are still, perhaps, still children of the flesh. If you are children of the flesh, I'm very concerned because you are required to obey every single one of God's commandments perfectly. Let me assure you that it's not something that you want or can do. It will wear you out because you can't. The children of the flesh shall not inherit with the children of promise. That's what the Word of God says. So beloved, let me remind us that if you are a Christian, then we are the children of promise. The promise that has been guaranteed with Jesus' own life. So live by faith, not by works. Rest in Jesus, in who He is, in what He has done for us. But perhaps some of us live rather complacently and indifferent about our life choices. Beloved, let me remind you that grace, though given freely to you, was paid at a great price by Jesus. So as children of promise, live like someone who has been saved through faith, the faith that has cost Jesus' own life. For non-Christians who are listening in, thank you for listening in. Our story ended wonderfully for Abraham and his household, but not so for Hagar, Ishmael, and Abimelech. Upon knowing the goodness of the God of Abraham, Hagar and Ishmael left and never returned. Abimelech only desires the benefits of being associated with God's people, but without wanting to worship the everlasting God himself. He was not with Abraham when he could have, when Abraham called on the everlasting God. What a tragedy. Galatians 3 verse 16 says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Jesus. What it says is basically Abraham's true promised offspring is Jesus. Jesus is the promised one. If the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham in Isaac stumbled Hagar and her boy and impressed Abimelech, all the more the true fulfillment of God's real promise to Abraham in Jesus. Of course, Hagar, Ishmael and Abimelech didn't know about Jesus, but you do now. You do now. Jesus can either stumble you, impress you that you want his benefits but refuse to worship him, or impress you that you want nothing but him. 
as God has been gracious towards Hagar, Ishmael, and Abimelech, God has been gracious towards you, although you have not trusted in Jesus. The fact that you are still breathing and still enjoy at least the simple pleasures of life, like sun and rain, it's God's grace towards you. But this grace will not last forever. Jesus, who has died on the cross, rose again on the third day and ascended to be His Father, will one day come again to judge every one of us. He will judge the children of promise by what He has done for their behalf on the cross because they believe in Him. And He will judge the children of the flesh by God's perfect standard that you have failed to do because you don't believe in what He has done for sinners like all of us. My prayer for you today is that you will not respond the way Hagar and her boy did or the way Abimelech did, but rather that you will turn to Jesus, who is the offspring of Abraham, who instead of sacrificing his wife or deceiving a king, he sacrificed himself for his people to show that he is the true, righteous and compassionate king. Instead of self-pity, in pity for us sinners, he gave his life away in exchange for ours so that he receives the bad we deserve and we receive the good he deserves. This is the saving grace God offers to us sinners. He deserves all of our trust, all of our submission, all of our worship, all of our lives. For God has displayed the fullness of His grace in Him. Time is running out. Come to Jesus, the prophet and the Son of God, so that He will pray for you and you shall live. Drink from Jesus and be satisfied. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, Eternal God, we thank You that You have been gracious to every one of us despite our unworthiness. We thank You that despite our continued shortcomings, You have continued to love Your people in Jesus who has died for our sins and rose again to give us a new life in Him. We thank You that you grant us assurance. For our salvation rests not on us, who are unreliable, but on Jesus alone, who is reliable. Would you help us to live by faith and to persevere in doing so by your strength? And I pray that you would be merciful to unbelievers, that many will respond in faith in Jesus and repentance from their ways of the flesh to become your children of promise. In Jesus' name, Amen.